this podcast Brian Hoogley chief security officer at the Hanover Insurance Group talks about his journey as a chief security officer and some of the best practices so stay tuned So welcome everyone to another episode of Future of Data podcast today we have with us Brian Hoogley uh, who is a chief Uh, who's a certified information security uh, system security professional and global industrial cyber security professional and currently working as chief security officer at the Hanover Insurance Group Brian previously served as a senior advisor on cyber security and inform- information risk management for Department of Defense US Army Pen- and Pentagon He has 15 years of professional experience and knowledge of and has implemented risk implementation framework methodologies and processes. He has been responsible for creating compliant and secure network for multiple sites through his extensive background in intrusion detection and mm-hmm. full network end to end testing. He has outstanding communications and uh, and a positive demeanor and ability to interf- interface with all level of uh, organization. So Brian thank you so much um for agreeing to uh, talk to our community about your experience and your journey. Thanks. Thanks for sure. Thanks for having me. Beautiful. So by the way impressive profile. So let's let's talk about let's let's talk about whatever you can share your journey to this point if you can if you can share us uh, what got you into security and, and then and then how you sort of uh, went to this point that will be really helpful. Sure. Um so I I actually started um kind of working with computers at a young age and um just it was kind of more of a hobby than anything I was pretty much on track to go down the road and go to college to be a I really wanted to be a history teacher um and you know after after high school um you know I just started I started working in the space and it you know prior to really going to college and and then the um you know so I kind of caught that bug as from that perspective and then from there you know I enrolled in a college degree that that was um based around network administration so you know routers switches um core networking and you know that really let me kind of hone hone my skills and get kind of the theoretical component of all of it um after that um you know I I graduated um I married my uh my girlfriend from the time and we moved down to um to Washington DC area. So it was like a really rapid change right after um graduation. Um and I took on uh took on a job down in the DC area eventually just working into uh the Department of Defense and um a an intelligence community um agency so supporting those doing uh a variety of different um functional, you know, roles within IT and security uh for them. And then my last role uh working um as the information assurance program uh team lead for um the program within the Pentagon and um that was 2 years ago and then I actually got recruited from there to become the chief information security officer for the Hanover Insurance Group where I'm I'm currently am right now interesting thank you so much for sharing that by the way and 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 now let's let's talk about your current role like what so CISO or CSO what what that really means and and what all that that sure. that job entails So it's a uh, it's actually a recent change to becoming the CSO I, I lost the I out of my title but nice. I gained oversight <laughs> for all of uh, physical security so now I have just overall global responsibility for um just what we're just referring to is now just corporate security so both information security as well as physical security So yeah my role within both those spaces and and most notably with it as being the the CISO uh was information security uh for the Hanover so that requires you know the um the diligence around um implementing policies and procedures within the organization to adhere to a high level uh standard for um for information security practices um implementing a, a number of different teams that are doing what i refer to as defensive operations so these are the guys and the girls who are looking at what's going on on the wire taking a look at network traffic um and doing analysis on all of that data to hunt for malicious or abnormal behavior within the organization and then working within with the IT operations teams to remediate those activities or just contain and quarantine any threats that they find um as well as you know the the it's it's a non 
it's kind of sometimes looked at as a non-IT function, but doing training and awareness and outreach into the organization because the humans, you know, the people are the largest attack surface of any organization. So treating them and empowering them to be the best first and last line of defense is, uh, is, a, is a huge component of what we're trying to do. And it's interesting, you know, when we, when we talk about data and, and those groups, they're the richest source of information. And we have to pivot on how we look at how people react to certain things and use that information to help us build either better training or just better defenses. So it's uh, it, we use and leverage a lot of data to be able to make those types of decisions and change our approaches. Um, and I think that is what separates a lot of what we're doing here and what the program I've, I've looked to build and have built um, from my peers within the industry and within, um, I think, the rest of kind of just, just anyone who has to have, and really it is everybody who has to go through and have an information security practice. We're starting to leverage and are leveraging data analytics mm -hmm. to, to make better decisions on what to defend and where to defend. You know, the, I, in talks I've given previously, I kind of harp on this, but, you know, the days of relying on just firewalls and data sources now for us to help make decisions um, they're not the end-all be-all and they're not the only things we should be leveraging so they become data sources and we couple that with other pieces and then from there we can make better decisions about how to either make them better or remove them and, and do something else interesting we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. I think that's that's, that's fascinating. So one thing that that, that um, I picked up uh, from your response was, so chief security officer entail uh, CISO as well as the physical security. And, and actually, interestingly, I was having a conversation, I think about last month uh, with one of the, one of the banks, uh, one of the large, large bank in US, and they were talking about how um, like CISO will eventually, uh, like in the, the personal security is getting more digital and then CISO, so like the idea there will, there will be a chief security officer framework. And I think you're the one, luckily you're, you are, you're suggesting the same thing. So what are some of, some of the things that, um, uh, that you think that personal, like how you as a CISO um, and, and physical security, how, how they are combining, if you can shed some light on that. Sure. Well, the way, I mean, the way I look at it is we're both trying to defend something, mm. right? Um, within information security, you're defending and protecting data or access, right? Mm. And from a logical standpoint, physical security is the same aspect. Um, and again, granted, I'm, I'm new to the role and I've never previously had that um, underneath me. So, you know, I will admit I'm, I'm learning that area, but I have a great team already and a great leadership within that that are now reporting me that I can lean on. For that so by no means am i going to say that i'm a master within that space but the reason that i was very eager to um to help oversee and, and help steer that is because of the similarities physical security is defending and protecting the same types of assets um mm -hmm. there's just and it's protecting and, and establishing rules around access as well as access to data as well as looking after the you know the safety of your employee workforce so you see a lot of um, overlap. It's just two different ways to tackle it, whether it's logical or physical, to protect very much the same things. Um, what I also really like is that there are some capabilities within technologies you can leverage to have both of them really get pulled together and um, correlate some information. Take, for instance, you know, badge access information into a building hmm. along with VPN access into your network. If I saw somebody and I'm able to correlate that information and say, hey, Bob just walked into the building, but I can also see in that next half an hour that he's VPNed in from someplace in Texas. He doesn't work out of Texas. He works out of this office. That should raise a flag and then, you know, launch some type of an investigation. So you can pull that type of kind of basic example, but that type of information together through two different historically disparate teams to come up with, um, you know, an incident or an event that you need to actually investigate that has, has some, you know, something behind it. Interesting. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair 
tao.ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast so so as per you um, a typical legacy say uh, a security uh, or physical security infrastructure so so i think what what you're suggesting is eventually that will also digitize and and so they will also go in, in a ciso route as you're from the ciso you're going to the c um, like chief physical security officer as well route is that is yeah that i think right? so i i think you're going to see groups and i've seen other other cisos in um especially within the boston area mm-hmm. here um becoming established as cso's and taking on physical security i know um jim routh at etna mm-hmm. and um i forgive me the gentleman's name who oversees adp um both of them took on those roles merged those capabilities and are overseeing them going forward um but yes i think that you're going to see that um that transition because you're also going to have an enablement of technology within physical security that's going to allow those you know those guards or representatives to be able to perform at a better you know in a higher uh, caliber because they're going to have more information at their hands and they're almost going to become analysts you know be able to determine mm-hmm. what's going on in a space either based on video camera you know data uh, badge data just and and those types of practices you know you can see the kind of all that pull into more of a central kind of a role and then have you know guards and representatives do that actual physical you know watch working a you know working a rotation you know or guarding an area or overseeing something and be able to push them to be able to do more of that and you see that analytical component shift more into you know a traditional sock or some type of a you know internal analyst driven space interesting interesting um that's awesome by the way so now let's let's talk about your journey um from say a very uh, sort of regulated say government go- government body to say enterprise uh, uh, ecosystem so how is the the security infrastructure or like how is um, the work around or, or or the the culture different differ between between the the, the two templates so I mean, within DoD and, and the military, it's it's very command and control. Um, there's it's very mission centric, right? Mission first mm-hmm. is is everything that you're kind of working towards. There's um you know there's there's set boundaries within those spaces that you're operating within, but everybody's marching towards the same mission. Mm-hmm. That's very similar to corporate life. Um, this has been uh, very different for me to adjust to because I've you know having lived in one area for quite mm-hmm. a long time and kind of honed my skills in that. Uh, but it's it's still very similar, right? So as a business, you know, you have a mission, you have values that you're driving to for a business. It's just, it's geared uh, toward, it's, it's for different reasons, right? DOD and the military, it's geared towards national defense for a corporation, um, you know, any company it's geared towards, you know, whatever that, you know, their service or their product that they're delivering and those cut co- and servicing and, and, and uh, you know, having those customers, um, you know, whatever that clientele is for that, for that company. So you're, you're working kind of for different mm. for different people, um, and there definitely is. There's a definitely a different structure internally. You know how to make decisions, how to um, look for uh, enabling, and who you're enabling. You know, working for a you know a business to enable them through technology, and then making sure that the security practices you put in place um, are very different than you know um, you, you can within uh, you know the government. Um, mm. I think, and you have to take different. You know, there's different risks, right? So. Within you know a business, if you shut down an appliance or an application because of any type of an incident or an event, whether it be you know disaster recovery scenario because your data center got knocked out from power or because it's a security incident, there's there's dollars associated with that system or whatever being offline for any amount of time. You know within the military, you're not looking at that. You're actually dealing with if the system is offline for a certain amount of time, there might be human life that's impacted mm, because true. that data. Where those systems aren't available so it's it's you know it's totally it's, it's completely different in that aspect but the similarities you know are there to still you know operate and 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 make both of those effective so it's it's been an interesting change i, I really i've enjoyed it um <laughs> and it's you know because i always like challenges so this is just a new challenge to kind of figure out and navigate interesting interesting so what are some of the um, common challenges that you have seen being a being a CISO or being a CSO or and like if you can shed some light uh, like or as a security analyst or security like what are some of the common uh, sort of um, yeah challenges that you have seen so i think um, 
since since coming here and then talking with a lot of my peers in the industry, the um, the biggest challenges I think are are determining, you know, what what are the right solutions we should be implementing. I think everyone's got a pretty good knack for what the threats are, um, and predominantly most people understand kind of how critical their their organization's you know um, ability to perform their business or or what data they need to um, protect, but there's definitely always, there's a lot of dialogue and just a lot of discussions around, you know, what's the right solution. I, I get a lot, <laughs> it, it's hard to weed through because I, you know, I get a lot of phone calls from vendors that I swear woke up that morning and said, I'm going to sell security. And mm -hmm. it's, it, it's hard to weed through who has the right products, who has the right approach, you know, because I've got a problem that I'm trying to, that I'm trying to solve for much like any other CISO. You know, how do I protect this company's data and their access and their people? And you've got to go out into this marketplace to figure out who can do that the best. What, you know, it's not going to be a solution. What set of solutions am I going to be able to bring in? Which ones of those are going to be able to work together? Which ones of those are going to be the most cost effective for what I'm trying to do? So really, I think that's one of the largest challenges because you've got to really weed through, you know, the people that are selling something that maybe it's not. Um, or they're selling something that's just not within your budget, or it's not really going to meet, you know, your your need. So, it's uh, very rarely have I had a vendor come in and say, "I have a solution for you. I know exactly what your problem is," mm -hmm. and they sold it to me. Um, you know, you've really got to do some due diligence to figure out and establish what are your requirements, what are you trying to solve for, and then do do the real research and the real homework on figuring out where is that, you know. Where is that solution that's out there, and how close can I get? And honestly, am I okay with accepting an eighty percent solution? Hmm. You know, I think a lot of a lot of things get hung up on trying to to what we're doing here, right? There, it just doesn't exist. So, what is it that gets me the closest to um, towards my goal? And maybe that's enough. You know, that just comes down to regular risk management. Right. Interesting. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. So I think one thing that, that, I, that I always um, um, worry about or, or that I always think about is that so security is a, con is, is a constant changing threat, right? So as technology is emerging, technology is emerging really fast. So some things are tapped onto, some things are not tapped onto, then the more unpredictability you have, the more security issues you will probably end up in. And then you have these sort of standardizations, like so you, like there's a certified information sec uh, system security professional, like all these certifications that are out there today, how relevant are, or how impactful are they um, in sort of ensuring uh, that you have the prof professional credentials to, to secure an organization, uh, if you can shed some light on that. Sure. I, I think it's it's a it's a couple different pieces. You know, you, you have to you have to have experience. Number one, I think mm -hmm. that's that that's the piece that goes probably longer than farther than than anything else. And it's not just experience in information security. Um, I, I've always said that you know, it, information security within any place is really when you look at it at its core is just solid architecture and solid engineering. If both of those things were perfected, I wouldn't be here, right? Mm. No, nobody, none of my peers would have their job if we had perfect engineering and architecture to anything that we were designing. Cool. But we don't, so here we are. Um, so looking for experience from people, uh, you know, in those areas, that's that's the thing that I think really makes very very good security professionals. I've got a ton of analysts on my teams that were, you know, former DBAs, former systems administrators. Um, and it's because that's what they're defending, right? That's what they're looking to, to defend. And if you don't understand that technology, how can I expect you to fully defend it? It's been really interesting. I just had an interview earlier today with a, 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 young, uh, a younger person who's graduating college very soon. They're looking to get out and they're going through um, and looking to get into the, the workforce and they wanna get into cybersecurity, information security field. And they have some experience, you know, through internships, but their degree is in that. You know, mm -hmm. now we see this emergence of, of people taking and mm -hmm. getting cybersecurity degrees. And it's, I like it, but there's this balance where you're like, you know, 
you haven't done anything with regards to what you're trying to defend. You just kind of jumped right into it, you know, mm. and in my day, and I don't want to sound like I'm too old, but like in my day and the people that I respect who are in this space, they came up through the IT ranks, fully understand what they're trying to defend and have now been able to just focus in on security. So it's going to be interesting to see how these degrees and how that college education mm. is going to help bolster and now create a new kind of breed of, of a workforce to start off on doing security and just start from day one and building that experience. Interesting. The, um, the certifications, and yeah, I have my CISSP and my GICSP. Those are really good. Um, I think, you know, like any certs, learn a subject and test to that subject. Um, I don't, they're not as high on my value list when I'm interviewing candidates as, as experiences. Um, and as I was kind of joking earlier with somebody, um, you know, the number one question that we like to ask uh, any potential uh, candidate um, or prospect to our information security program is, tell me about your home lab. Hmm. You know, if their answer is no, I don't have one, that usually tells us a lot about, you know, how passionate they are about this space. And if they do say they have one and they go into detail and they can tell you all about it, that immediately gives us the, you know, the input. And I don't care how young or how old you are, it tells me about your passion and your want to do this because this job is all about problem solving. And it's if you're not really passionate about problem solving, you're probably not a very good problem solver. People who like to be creative and come up with and solve for things and, and do solutioning and all of that, um, you know, I kind of equate them to people who like crossword puzzles. You know, you like to think like that. You like to pick up that newspaper and do that crossword puzzle. You truly enjoy it. You'll do it at any time. Um, and it's that type of critical thinking that you're looking for. That's a very, you know, basic example. I'm not trying to equate security mm. professionals to people who like crossword puzzles, <laughs> but that's the kind of passion and the kind of thinking you're looking for out of somebody. So it's, I think it's awesome. Thank you so much, by the way, for for sharing your thoughts. Uh, so on 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 that note, let's talk about um, who make up for the best entrant in security industry. Like as a prof like if I want to if I want to get into the security um, industry, what are some of the one to three advice that you could you could you could give me that I could do to, to be in it. Um, so I think there's so there's a couple different tracks, right? So you can I think I, I kind of break things down. Either you you take the governance and policy track, right, which is almost kind of pseudo auditor level role where you're looking at policies, frameworks, um, implementing standards. You, it's very almost paper driven, but obviously mm -hmm. we're trying to be as digital as we can, so less paper. But you're really it, it's it's almost, you know, um, legal, right? Mm -hmm. That that kind of level. You're you're just dealing with a lot of policies. You're not very technical. You're not doing systems. You're not looking into things. The other track really is the technical track. So you're you have you know analysts who can you know open up full packet captures, review PCAP, see what's going on within you know uh, a system to system communication over a network, fully understanding what that is, possibly even then, you know. Um, evolving from there to, you know, be able to reverse engineer malware and see, you know, what what malware is happening. Um, you've also got the track within there of somebody who can do intelligence gathering and understand and start kind of pulling together what an adversary's um, motive is, what their resource is, basically what, what's known as their tactics, techniques, and procedures, their, their TTPs, you know, and starting to figure out how does the bad guy think? What is he trying to do? You know, what are his motives? Where is he trying to get in? So you have that kind of intelligence component. Um, so there's like that that whole side right there is just, it, it's huge. So first you gotta kind of determine which way you wanna go. Mm. You know, um, you know from the technical side, I think that's what a lot of people think cybersecurity is um, just all about, but they, they dismiss the governance piece and it's still mm. very valuable. Within the technical space, you know, you know getting your experience with, um, with the systems that you're looking to defend. You know, do you fully understand how a Windows operating system is set up, you know, the folder structure, the regular permissions, you know, can you do the same thing with Linux? Basically, can you understand what a good system is supposed to look like? So that when you look for and see abnormalities or misconfigurations, they jump out at you, right? Um, can you look for and see that same type of thing within, you know, a network? Do you have a full understanding of, you know, how Juniper, Palo Alto or Cisco devices are supposed to be configured? The same type of thing, you know, can you understand 
you know, a user account or administrative account should or shouldn't be able to do certain things. So fully understanding kind of the underneath the hood hmm. component, you know, the security piece really just comes into keeping them within the baseline or within the, you know, out within a variance that's tolerated, right? Information security for me is really just finding when things come out of variance, looking for abnormalities, um, and then being able to hunt for that type of activity either within a system or a network or a set of systems in a network, right? Can you look at um, a full list of processes that are within five and find where there's only one or two happening across all of them? Like that should jump out at you as in something that's abnormal, right? Because if you have really good configuration management, all those systems should look the same, right? Um, so if you have one thing that's happening by itself, that should be, maybe it's not a red flag, but it's a yellow flag. And it's something that's worth to investigate. Uh, you know, that's having that type of, you know, that that kind of mindset and um, understanding is, is probably, you know, what you need on top of just base level systems and network uh, understanding. And then, you know, just there's a whole other track of just, you know, software development and application development, you know, database management, you know, so you can really get into each of these and it's it looks very similar to the same track that most IT professionals are taking. Mm. Um, you're just, you're focused, you know, within information security, you're focused on maintaining the confidentiality and integrity of the systems, right? Um, as well as the lesser part, the availability of those systems. IT is really geared towards the operational and the execution and the efficiency of those systems. So. Neither one's right, neither one's wrong. Hmm. Both both sides, both both groups need to be involved. It's just each group has their focus and their specialty. And it's great when they can both do that work together because then you've got somebody who's just thinking about security, somebody who's just thinking about operations. They can work together to make sure that that system meets both of the needs. Interesting. So thank you so much, Brian, on on that. So I think let's let's talk about now one of the hypoth one of the hypothetical. So if suppose um, I am a startup and I, I want to sort of uh, secure my infrastructure, right? So what are some of the things that you could recommend maybe a, a 12 month cycle on sort of what all I should do to secure and like I can't afford a CISO and I don't know what that really means. All I know is that I'm, I'm vulnerable to threats. So what are some of the things that you could recommend? So I think, you know, out of the gate, um, there's some really great standards out there that make that kind of lay it out as far as risk goes for, for any size organization that you need to hit kind of out of the gate. Um, you know, and they're the critical security controls. That's a, it's a group set. There's known as the CSC, the top 20, um, though SANS puts out, uh, the, the, the top 20 as well, that they, they back that and they're a, you know, well-recognized group. So you want to have a full, you know, full inventory of all your devices, right? You basically want to know, mm. you know, I can't defend what I don't know exists. So, knowing fully where where you're working from, where all your systems are. Uh, and that could be, you know, if you're a startup with four or five, you know, people and you've got some cloud services, just know where those all are. Know what laptops you're using for work. Know what devices you're, you're using. Secondly, knowing what software you're using, having a full inventory of all the software that you're legitimately using within an organization. So if you start seeing software, you know, being installed or being used that's outside of that, that should be kind of a tip off to, to what's going on. Um, third is your, um, you know, basically your vulnerability management, staying up to date on all of your patches, keeping your systems uh, current, working on supported and um, vendor supported software, right? So whether that's open source software or not, just staying, staying current with that. Um, third, having some basic level of malware protection, um, just even though we've moved beyond very quickly um, kind of what antivirus, most, most traditional antivirus can do. It's still, it's still a commodity protection, you know, it's table stakes. You might as well just not have to deal with those issues by just having it in place and, and leveraging it. Uh, and even, you know, if you're a startup, you don't even have the funds for a full blown, you know, solution from some of the larger, you know, AV providers, you know, there's, there's, there's cheaper solutions that are out there that are just as good to be able to get you going and, and protect you. And again, take care of the commodity threats. Uh, the fifth one is probably the easiest one to implement and probably the heart and probably the one that's most often overlooked. Um, having a segregation 
to your administrative rights within mm -hmm. your system or anything that you're 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 operating. It's like something. I think it's. Uh, uh, don't quote me on this, but it's, I think the numbers that I've seen are something around 80% of um, infections and vulnerabilities that are exploited are usually traced back to the misuse of administrative privileges. So, you know, if you got five or six guys, whatever, working on a, guys and girls working on a, on a startup, making sure that the accounts that they use to administer the software that they're building are separate accounts from the ones that they're using to read their email and surf the web. Those are, oh, I lost you. You still there? Yep. I think your video is okay. off. Um, so just using, using those, um, those five practices are, are your, what I would consider the low hanging so, fruit. Uh, Brian, is, is your video off? No, it's back. Okay. It's back. Okay. Now it's back. Sorry. Yep. So having, um, having, doing those five things, those are your top five. Um, you, you gotta do those cause those are the quick wins, right? Those are the things that you, uh, that you can just do right out of the gate. Um, and then from there, really building out and doing anything beyond that, you've got all the information in front of you and available to be able to do bigger and better things as you grow. I mean, quite honestly, say you're a startup with five people and you immediately grow to 20, 30, 50 people. If you didn't do an inventory, start doing inventorying of your systems in the beginning, how are you gonna start doing it? You know, it's just gonna become a lot harder later on. Now it can be done, but you might as well start doing good practices early on and carry them through as you scale. Interesting, interesting. So um, let's let's talk about um, and when I was when, when he was saying that I think the thing that came to my mind was the Equifax debacle, right? So mm -hmm. if you if you are to sort of um, considering whatever has happened happened, what are some of the things that is like if you are asked to sort of man Equifax and sort of um, uh, sort of fix their security vulnerabilities, what are some of the things that that you would you would suggest? Well, I think. Um... You know, I, I don't know enough about mm. what security vulnerabilities they have within their organization or what their state of, you know, their, their security program is. But I could tell you that, you know, looking at on the surface based on the news that's come out, right? Mm. And I'm, I'm trying to be careful about my words because I don't want to say that I, I don't know anything about Equifax beyond what I've read in the news, right? right? So I'm working off of that information. But looking at what they had, they had been breached through an open source um, software known as Apache Struts, which was, which was um, announced to be vulnerable, I think back in March mm. or, or sometime around that time frame, um, and it's it's leveraged by a lot of different organizations um, as a technology. Apache, you know, that that group came out and said, "Look, this is vulnerable, and here's the patch." So the vendor provided the remediation. Equifax, right or wrong, I mean, obviously, I'm a I'm a citizen who is who was part of that uh, that breach, like probably just about every other American. Right. So we're all gonna look at it as a wrong. <laughs> Didn't take that opportunity to apply that patch um, when they could have, because they could have just kept it from being exploited. It was one of the systems that was accessible on the, on the internet and running a vulnerable piece of software. Hmm. Well, that to me, just on this, again, on the surface, just speaks to being just poor patch management, right? And probably poor inventory. They probably maybe even didn't know that they had struts running on those mm. front end web services to then even know that when the vulnerability came out, where to go look inside their environment to say, hey, this vulnerability came out. Does it impact us or do we have this software here? Because if you have that inventory up front, you're like, oh, we have that software. It sits over on this web server. That web server does X, Y and Z. Now we know we have to patch that because it's going to protect everything that's behind there. So that, again, goes back to your inventory and then you're just your continuous monitoring of your of your vulnerabilities and having a good solid vulnerability management practice around it. So Interesting. That, off the cuff, you know, that would probably be the area I would start with. You know, they're they're dealing with a whole lot more than mm. that, but that would be one programmatic area within that organization that probably needs a good hard look and uh and, and some resourcing and the proper, you know, people behind it to make it effective. So that in six months they're not reliving this and there's some new vulnerability that comes out that they right. didn't know that they were susceptible to that then becomes exploited. And now here we are again. Right. Although so, so after I, they've been, yeah. yeah. So I think that, that that's a very good point, by the way. And, and, and I was wondering that. So how much of um, your job entails understanding these patches? Because many times the, the, the patches itself will have vulnerabilities and and, and like how much is uh, a role of a security analyst or security officer to understand 
everything every piece of code and like how like how do you balance that that jungle between like a, being running a tech tech battle of understanding what you're running all all the assets that you are running and the vulnerabilities and right. the cultural sort of um, uh, tying the, those things to like getting the business practices and and merging these two like how is like how do you balance those 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 two two things sure i think as a ciso or anybody in, in a role like i'm in you know i'm not charged to to really fully understand you know the intricate details technical details of the patches hmm. um i do because i used to run you know that i used to live that world so right. i i luckily understand it so i know what to expect out of my analysts and the operations teams that deal with it but you know from an analyst standpoint um i think you know their job is to to understand where where different technologies exist and if you kind of bucketize it you know you, you pretty much break things down hmm. how many different types of web servers are you running you're running apache or you're running iis you know it's windows or linux shop you probably have some type of variation within there maybe from ibm or hp or whoever that's running some kind of version of that just knowing where that exists that that alone and having that inventory is that's what you're leaning on really so you don't necessarily need to know the intricate details you just need to know where do these things exist so if you can kind of chop them up and break you know break up where things are bucketize them it's a lot easier to manage so you're not wondering about that web server's running all these different things and having to remember all of that. You just need to know, where's my Apache web farm? Okay, mm. we're at this version on all of them. Okay, good to know. Because if we see something come out against that, I know that there's 20 systems that I need to address that with. Interesting. And and, and tell me about the, the, the technological battle. Uh, so basically now you have enterprise software, then now you have open source emerging, then there's some companies acquire uh, other companies, they come with their own sort of ecosystem and now you're merging the two together. Like right. as a CISO or as a, as a CSO, how do you sort of keep yourself at pace with all the integrational uh, nightmares? Like I think you, you put up very uh, beautifully that create a bucket list of tech and sort of create an inventory list of what the hell is going on. And, and from there on try to understand that. But what are some of the some of the cheat sheets, some, some of the uh, some of the hacks that, that, that you could suggest that someone could sort of uh, how do you, how do you cope up with the the technological evolution and and integration nightmares? Um, I think you know I haven't had a ton of new company integration, so I haven't we haven't gone through that in the two years that I've been here. But we've def I've definitely previously just seen you know bringing in new operations, and um, I think the best part is kind of keeping them at bay hmm. until you fully understand everything that they have by themselves before you look to integrate. Um, I know I look to have a full compromise assessment done on an organization or a system that I'm inheriting. So I want to know that I'm going to inherit it clean, right? And having having a group, either you contract out to another another party or an organization, or you have the skill set in-house to be able to do that. But being able to look at a system or a network or, or an organization and be able to figure out, you know, have you already been compromised? You know, how vulnerable are you? What's the, you know, what's the total true cost to bring you up to whatever, you know, my standard is or, or whatever the organization's standard is um, first and actually kind of figuring that in. Um, it's interesting when you see, um, you know, M&A activity taking that path, right? Like look what happened with Yahoo, uh, I'm sorry, is it Yahoo or uh, recently where they were acquired by, um, oh, forget, I'm totally forgetting out who it was. Verizon. Uh, Verizon. Yeah. yeah, Verizon, right? And it came out after the announcement that they had been breached, mm. right? Well, what if Verizon knew what that they were breached prior to that announcement? That might have changed what the cost was that Verizon was willing to pay, right? They might have wanted to go ahead and figure in whatever the cleanup costs were mm. to the purchase price, right? So having that understanding is 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 really good because you can kind of bake that in to what you're going to be doing and i think that's that's a prime example of at large scale right where where that would have been ideal um but yeah so i think you know culturally you know uh security and and ops are you know trying to work hand in hand but again kind of like i said earlier you know we're set out with different agendas initially or at least focuses on what we're trying to accomplish right our we're paid to sit here and think about the security of the organization. Mm -hmm. Operations teams are sit, are paid to think about the efficiency and the operations of it. The businesses are paid to think about how do I grow the business and I need IT to help support me, right? So I'm a supporting arm to the supporting arm that's enabling the business, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, and that's for organizations that don't have security practices, that's a huge hurdle to get over. So you need to really, you know, weave it into how we're doing things or how you're going to do things and, and not really hammer it that it's a must do. Um, and you, you really need to treat and create partnerships and not be seen as a roadblock. Um, I changed and I created the strategy for our security team here to do two things. You have to, everything that we're doing has got to follow this mantra of enable the business and minimize asset loss, right? Because without the business, I'm not going to be here. Uh, and my job is to minimize, not negate, but minimize the impact of any security incident, related incidents or events to, you know, to that part of the business or to the business as a whole. So taking that approach is, is it. And again, enabling the business is that first part. If they didn't exist, mm. I wouldn't be here. I need them just as much as, you know, they need me. Interesting. And I think, and, and one piece that, that we find ourselves um, uh, many times into this conversation of, hey, security is a nagging group, right? They're, they're pretty much like my lawyers, right? Hey, just don't do this, don't do that. They, they have like 10,000 things of what not to do. But to run a business, I like I have to just jump on the first opportunity that I get, and it is right. random. And like security hates randomness, right? That's where the unpredictability come, and that's what right. So how do you cope up with that? And I think you put it beautifully that um, like enabling businesses is number one priority. Does that mean um, negating security? Like, I think in in many aspects. Like, how do you balance that, 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 sure. that, hey, business want to be innovative, but you don't want them to be too much too innovative that it compromise some things. Yeah, it, it is a fine balance. Um, you know, I don't, I don't like to be the shop of no. I like to be the shop of how. You know, if we can build security into what we're doing first and foremost, then it, it enables them to do it later on. And I don't have to think about it, right? I can, I can, we built it securely the way it was supposed to be. Now go ahead and take that and go off and, and, and be innovative, right? I want you to be mobile. I want you using cloud applications. I want you to be able to freely share your data. But I also want to know that that data is only going to the people that you intended, right? The people that are accessing our information are those that are authorized. Um, you know, so if you can, um, I, I joked earlier today and, and somebody else I'm stealing it from, but you know, if you can't afford to, sec to secure a system or an application, you, you can't afford the system or application. You know, so That's you really need to work with the businesses just up front to, to create the ability and the platform to be innovative and to go go off from there. You know, it's when that wasn't thought of and that security is bolted on after the fact or thought of after the fact or seen as a gate later on. That's where it's seen as as, you know, a real issue. That's when businesses or you know any business people are seeing it as a roadblock, um, you know. The, the, the example you give with the lawyer, right? If I sat with my lawyer up front before I went into something and he explained everything that I needed to know, I would go into a conversation mm -hmm. or whatever that next event would be knowing full well right. legal advice. Right. But if I went through the event first and then contacted <laughs> the lawyer, I would have roadblocks, right? So right. It, you have to treat it like that. Now, conversely, some things you just have to accept. And that just comes down to good risk management practices. Mm. You know, I've never said, hey, we need to remove all vulnerabilities. We need to, you know, negate all risk. It doesn't, it can't work like that. Like business, you have to accept risk in order to get a reward. And security has to follow suit. There are some risks you can just take. Maybe because you have some type of compensating control in place. Maybe because you have some type of mitigating factor that you've enabled that hasn't necessarily removed the risk completely, but it's reduced it to a low enough point that it's within you or your company's risk appetite. And, and that's an approach that I think a lot of a lot of people don't either see or, or take is that it's not black and white. It's a scale right, right that you can operate within. And it just comes down to what's the risk appetite of the organization? Are they willing to accept it? And if they're willing to accept a risk, there shouldn't be an issue. You know? Interesting. No, I think you, you raise a very, very interesting point. And I think I was um, uh, talking to a bunch of security professionals, I think about a couple of months back. And we're talking about how much of security is a financial engineering problem, right? So sure, like there would be like 10,000 things that I should not do um, to be secure, but there's just one pain in the neck thing for, for my, my security folks that I should do to get me some more business. 
and 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 many businesses are like that and, and i think one of the thing that i i can co- i quote is about the t-mobile ceo saying that there are two type of businesses one who are hacked and one who don't know yet right so right. If, if if you put that that math into into equation like how how are how much further are we from calling it a financial engineering problem and just just uh, settling it or like uh, or or really we have to just keep running the battle on sort of finding an issue and then fixing it or something if you can shed some light on that yeah i i'd ideally like to get away from you know security as being professional you know janitors you know that would be nice like just constantly cleaning up uh, mm-hmm. and being proactive um I think if you if you change it and don't look at it being a janitor, but look at it more just being, you know, doing forensics constantly, because we're always working post. It's mm. always things are happening after mm. the fact. There's mm. very real, there's very real time um, security, you know, capabilities that you're able to en- en- enact as a as a group, right? You can mm. script and, and implement technologies that will real time block, but you know you're expecting and already paying for those systems to do that, right? Mm. I expect that system to block and stop and protect. It's going to do that. It's going to do it automatically. It's the areas where the security programs really are and sit with analysts and, and people is the blocking didn't do it. Now we're detecting and responding to activities, and that's always happening after the fact. Yeah, it's it. I think that's the hardest part is just getting that down to the shortest amount of dwell time um, and and keeping it so that you can see the areas where you're constantly kind of fighting and constantly cleaning up and then moving those activities after you've done them into some type of, you know, automatic or repetitive, you know, almost, you know, leveraging robotics type of way so that you can then truly do, you know, true analysis on, on other things. So as your tier two and tier three personnel are working on repetitive tasks, you mm you know, automate them in a fashion so that you can shift them into your tier one and it's, it's cheaper to do them on tier one. You know, it's, it's more, it's just more efficient. So I don't know if there's going to be a point where we just all get out from underneath constantly mm. cleaning up or chasing it. Um, but there's definitely ways at least to lessen the impact uh, on your organization. Interesting. And, and as, as a, as a CISO, like how do you prioritize um, which vulnerability to go after first or like, how do you, like what are some of some of like how do you prioritize a risk? Uh, if you can shed some some lights on that, I think I like to I look to look at it in a couple different ways. Um, I leverage the CVSS scores, you know, mm. out of um, um, uh, the national groups to to kind of give me the first kind of swag at like mm. okay, is this a critical? Is this a high type of or medium vulnerability? And then from there, that gives me kind of a starting point, but. One organization's critical is not another organization's, right? So you have to then take into account what compensating controls do I have in place that might lessen that and not be as critical of a vulnerability and might be less. And then you have to figure out what's the exposure of that system that is vulnerable. Is it publicly accessible? Is it so deep within my organization that, you know, it's not accessible, you know, uh, by very many people or very many avenues? You know, that would might lessen the risk. Also, too, you got a couple in. Is it exploitable, right? Mm-hmm. Are there publicly known exploits out there against whatever it is that that is vulnerable? Now, not all exploits are publicly known, but if they are, that at least should tip you off to what you should be working on first. Um, and then, least you know, last is uh, just just the overall kind of structure of your organization, right? And the other protections that you you have in place that could allow for um, some type of compensating control to be uh, to, to be leveraged. So you really have to take in kind of all those, all, all of those. And that really leaves you with what, what your risk is. Um, I think the last component um, after you kind of take all of those technical sheer security perspective is what is it that you're protecting? What is it that that vulnerability is on? Is that on a critical server with critical data and PII or is that on a, you know, a, a file server that holds zip code information, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to protect one much, much differently than I am the other. Right. So a critical vulnerability on the zip code server is not uh, as important as, uh, you know, some, as one that's maybe containing some level of PII or PHI. Interesting. Interesting. Now, now let's let's talk about b- a bunch of KPIs that you care about as 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 a chief security of- officer. Like what are some of the KPIs that you think that you say, OK, makes up for a good like I'm doing my job. Like if I monitor those CS, those KPIs. Sure. Um, <laughs> 
I think it kind of across the board is um, one of the first things and back to the, the policy side is, you know, of the standards that we've put in place within an organization, how many of them have exceptions against that, right? Yes. Are we, it, it, are the policies that we have, you know, is, is, the, is the policy basically within an organization just ruled by exception, which basically mm -hmm. tells me that probably the standards we put in place are too stringent and they're not working anyway. So maybe we reduce them to a point where they are just effective enough where they need to be and you're not ruling by exception all the time. So I like to look at that as one area. See, like, are we being just too forceful, right? Let's make something that's meaningful and actually attainable. And that's okay. It, that it coincides with the company's risk appetite, right? Um, I think secondarily, just vulnerability um, information and metrics across, you know, an internal as well as an external view of, an, uh, uh, of your systems and your organization. You know, how does the world see you, right? Which is basically how do attackers see you? as well as internally, how do you look, right? And using that information and seeing that, those metrics are, are really meaningful. And then from there, you can kind of track, you know, are we getting better, are we getting worse? Is our patch met methodology um, effective? Are we bringing on new systems that, that aren't secure and then we're realizing that they're insecure and then we're going back through, you know, some type of reconfiguration to secure them. So you can kind of track that. Um, also too, just the number of incidents, you know, looking mm -hmm. at your external uh, number of events that you're dealing with, and then as you kind of go through your security layers, you know, how many actually trickle down to become incidents that you need to investigate? Are you investigating hundreds of thousands of things, you know, a month or whatever? And that makes you realize, well, are our outer perimeter capabilities effective enough? That might tell you no. You know, mm -hmm. for a, an enormous organization, that might be normal. For a smaller organization, that would probably be really bad. And you might not need to relook at what are my first layer of defense protections? So looking at the events that are coming in, that's that's very insightful. Also too, what types of events, right? Are we consistently seeing the same type of events and incidents happening? And if so, you know, where can we fix maybe one or two things so we don't see those, right? We're basically seeing repeat attacks. Hmm. It's like, okay, well, they keep sure. coming in this way, they keep attacking this one way and they're successful. Well, let's fix that one thing and then we shouldn't see this anymore. Mm -hmm. So looking for those types of trends and those types of patterns, that helps you figure out where you need to go back to your protections and, and bolster them. So I, those are a lot of the metrics that, that I look at just kind of off the cuff. There's, there's a deep level underneath all of those. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you can, you can really get into some of them um, mm -hmm. and almost get lost. But I think at the top, those ones are the ones that can give you a, a good understanding of maybe the security posture of your organization. Interesting. Now, now let's, I think one thing also I want to discuss with you is the role of government, right? So role of um, regulation. Yep. How, like, how are they doing uh, when it comes to sort of keeping, keeping an organization secure? Like, are, do you think there's, there's a role of government in sort of in, in helping um, regulate some of these things or some of the standards or sure. uh, if you can shed some light? Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, I think a lot of people look at regulation the wrong way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously you don't want to be overregulated, but, you know, the, the role there is, I, I believe, is really good. It gives you a backstop, right, to be able to lean on and say, look, you know, I have somebody else who says we should be doing this too, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm a firm believer in NIST, the National Institute of Standard Technology, their cybersecurity framework, which was um, put into place underneath uh, then-President Obama in 24, February of 2014, you know, it has 98 controls across five families, identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. Um, that makes it really straightforward with how to look at an organization and set it up for, you know, security success. Um, and it, it gives you some metrics off the bat on, on what to do. Those standards developed by NIST, I mean, they're amazing. You know, they're on par there with what ISO has out there. I mean, you, there's a ton of different standards. I just personally you know, believe in that one because I've seen it be very successful both inside the government and outside the government. Um, but yeah, those those types of um, standards are, are well needed. If you look and pivot over to um, the, um, you know, the utility space, the energy space, nuclear power, anybody who falls underneath NERC SIP, which is a, another regulatory, giving those groups more um, more power to be able to enforce those I mean, personally, as just a citizen, you know, within, you know, my my town, um, I want to know that the people in the organizations that deliver my water and my power have a really good cybersecurity posture. 
Mm-hmm. And to date, you know, it's it's really dependent on that organization's want and desire and ability to do it. And without regulation, if they're not forced to, that might not be where they spend their next IT dollar on security. They might spend it on something else. Well, as a citizen who wants to make sure that I'm getting mm. electricity and water delivered to my house for my, my myself and my family, I want to know that it's going to be actually delivered and available. You know, if um, you know, it, it goes to like the whole blackout, you know, thing that happened within the U.S. and just mm. regulation around, you know, the power companies and all of that for cybersecurity is is something that definitely should be invested in because I don't want to go through that again. I don't think anybody That's wants true. to go through that again. So forcing them to look at that as an issue and addressing it, I think, is is a proper role and a proper uh, proper thing for the government to be involved with. Interesting. Um, and thank you for shedding light on that. Definitely. So now let, let's let's uh, let's talk about your personal side. So let's talk about um, some of the things that really helped you be what you are today. Like some of like one or one, two, three keys of success that you think uh, anyone who's aspiring to become a good uh, CSO or CISO, there's some of the tenets that, that, that you would you would pass on. Um, I think, you know, I think I spoke earlier about um, the one question you I like to ask interview is, um, you know, having a home lab, um, just just I mean, if you want to geek out and do that, I think that's mm-hmm. that's really good to be involved with, you know, outside of work, um, you know, being able to challenge yourself you know I, I personally just like to be challenged um you know mentally and physically i'm, I'm competitive so I, I really you know like to work on um you know just myself my, my, my you know my, myself as a person and you know um so i think keeping a balance and, and knowing when to step out of this job and when to step out of the office and, and go you know live your life and and having a good balance so that when you come back into it um, because, you know, there's a lot of very stressful days, a lot of really stressful moments dealing with security um, that, you know, you can be fully into it. And being able to break away and be able to recoup and, and just, re, you know, reinvigorate yourself um, helps you do your job a lot better. So, mm. you know, I always tell people just, you know, um, after the hard days that we have or just other days, it's like just make sure you take that vacation. If you planned on being off that day, take that day off. Like that was going to be important to you. Like it's important that you take care of yourself. So, you know, doing that's really good. I, I think being physically, you know, active is is something as well. I mean, not everybody's into it, but I personally find a lot of value in, you know, being physically active. I, I do a lot of bike riding. Um, you know, I try to go hiking when I can, but um, I used to do and race a lot of triathlons. So, that kept me, I, I felt really well-rounded um, and allowed me to kind of exercise off a lot of maybe frustrations or whatever with, you know, with a job like any, like any job um, and, uh, you know, be able to come back into work feeling pretty good about, you know, myself and what I wanted to do. And that was really great. And then also too, just, you know, investing, I have, you know, a beautiful wife and daughter. So I get to, you know, I invest a lot of time with them and their school and, and, and what they're working on and what their interests are. So, being able to just detach, I think, from work is probably mm. one of the best things I can do for work. <laughs> interesting. Well, I think that's, yeah. that's well put. And I think this is, uh, so uh, like most of the interesting professionals that, that we talk to and, and who are very successful, one of the common tenant what, that we saw was that the ability to detach and attach. So I think mm-hmm. that's, that's and, and you're putting a, a, a emphasis on that as well. So I think that's much, much appreciated. So Brian, I think, thank you. Thank you so, so much um, for, for staying so late and, and, and having a conversation oh, no, with our no. community. It's, it's, it's a ball, I think. And, and before, before we part ways, uh, definitely need to have your closing remark for our audience. And I think uh, if you can, uh, if, 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 if you have one. Um, you know, I think, um, Wow, that's tough. It really is. Um, how to sum it all up. But, um, you know, for, for the audience, I think they have, you know, look, you got to look at things differently. If, you, um, if you're going to go into any situation, don't, don't get so focused. That, um, you know, don't, don't get um, lost in what you believe the outcome is going to be. Don't be afraid to chase different types of um, solutions. Um, don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, a lot of what we do within this space, a lot of what I've done through my career is trial and error. Um, and it's, it's paid off and, you know, don't be afraid of trying out something else. Um, and I think, you know, for, for any of the aspiring CISOs or the aspiring security, you know, analysts and that space out there, you know, 
definitely looking at shifting and looking at how you think about problems and how you address issues and starting to adapt to leveraging data, leveraging analytics, leveraging um, you know other new tools and other new different ideas um, and breaking away from the way that's always been done because the threat landscape is going to constantly keep changing. And the only way to adapt and be able to battle on that on that landscape um, is to be able to um, you know adapt and change with it and try out you know other different things. So um, you know just if this is the field for you, just keep an open mind and uh, you know keep at it. Beautiful. And and with that, thank you so much, Brian. One thing I, I forgot to ask, and I definitely want yeah. want want to ask is your favorite read. Uh, do you oh, yeah. read any book? Like what what do you recommend? So. Um, Non-IT book, um, but um, it's written by Jack Kerouac. It's his book, On the Road. Um, I got turned on to that book in high school by a teacher who, who during a book report, uh, basically just said, you know, hey, everybody's got to pick a book, whatever. And I had no idea what I wanted to pick out of that list um, as your traditional high school, you know, list of books to read. And she told me, she's like, Brian, I think you'll really like On the Road. I must mm. have read that book five times before I actually had to, you know, finish uh, the assignment. Um, I loved it. And I think it it, prob it changed my life because um, I actually, you know, I, I picked up and, and did a lot of traveling after I read that book. Um, and uh, I think it was great. It's uh, It was a great read. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, On the Road by Jack Kerouac is definitely my favorite book. That's awesome. And with that, uh, thank you again, uh, Brian. Thank you so, so much uh, again. And we are always welcome on the podcast. And thank you so much for candidly sharing um, the CISO's perspective with our audience. And I think we will have a ball. And um, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it And I go into the booth feeling nervous Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless Is the mic gone? I don't know how to work this Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on this